you have found the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. Each week, we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. We want to especially thank those of you who missed the sermon because you were working with our youngest children during the service time. This sermon was from July 24, 2022. The text was 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8-10. through 10. So if you were here the last couple weeks, you will remember that David Hatfield was here last week, and I always enjoy listening to him, but if possible, try to turn your minds back a week before that, because two weeks ago, Jerry covered verses 1 to 7 in chapter 2, and I felt like the way he covered that really laid a good foundation for today's passage, and actually next week and, and further. So this morning, as I go through to try to deal with our passage for today, I want to very quickly summarize what he brought out as the central theme of verses 1 to 7, and then I want to focus on verse 8 and tell a story to try to capture the idea of verse 8. Then I want to go to verses 9 and 10 and tell a story to try to capture the idea of 9 and 10, and then try to sum the whole thing up for us here at Trussler this morning. And I hope when I'm done, you'll be able to see how Paul takes that theme from verses 1 to 7, and he uses it throughout those verses, and then also in those for today, and then next week as well. And so, last week, not last week, the last time we dealt with this, two weeks ago, Jerry covered 1 to 7, and if you missed that, go back and listen to the whole thing You can do it online on the audio or the Trustler Facebook page if you're part of that. But go back and listen to the whole thing. But to try to summarize it in 60 seconds, Jerry directed us to look at verses 3 and 4 as the central part of that passage. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. So what what is the truth? There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. So with that as the center of the passage, then, it, then we can see that Paul was encouraging people to pray for everyone, to pray especially for those who can make life hard for us, like those who are in authorities, those who had put Paul in prison, for example. And as we pray and as our lives begin to look more and more like Jesus' life and how he wants us to look, then that will direct everybody toward Jesus and towards God's goal, that everyone would come to know Jesus. So if if the central idea is that God wants everyone to know Jesus, then Paul's instructions wrapped around that to be part of the way in which God was directing people to live, to accomplish that goal. So that foundation applies very well to what we have today in our passage as well. So if, if, the, um, if the theme then was to say, okay, God wants everyone to know Jesus, therefore this is what you need to do to accomplish that goal, that's what 
God is trying to communicate to us through this as well. I want everybody to know Jesus, and here are some instructions from Paul to help make that happen. So we're going to look at verse 8 in just a moment, but first I want to tell a story that I think might might help uh, verse 8 come alive to you. Maybe not, but in 2002 and 2003, Emily and I were living in Lansing, Michigan, and we attended a church called Riverview Church, which is just outside of Lansing. It's a lot different from Tressler, at least it was then. I believe it still is now, although I have lost touch with them except to look at their website to get a picture of it, one of multiple locations at this point. And at that point, the church had, I think, around 700 people per week coming, and a lot of them were very new to the church. Not, not new to Riverview, but new to any church whatsoever at all. And that created some situations that were challenging for the pastors. And I was thinking of one particular Sunday when the pastors, one of the pastors at Riverview stood up and he needed to deal with a problem that was happening within the congregation. Apparently, some women in the church had approached the pastoral team and said that they were having some real struggles showing up at church and worshiping and fellowshipping and praying and learning because during this time, a lot of the men in the church were sort of harassing them. It seems like there were a group of men who had kind of decided that they wanted to pick up some good dating prospects and that the place to find good ladies was probably at church. So they were showing up on Sunday mornings and hunting down the ones that appealed to them and, and bothering them. And the pastor realized this was not helpful, not at all. This was totally bad. And so he had to deal with it. And I don't know if you're able to figure out how this applies, in my mind at least, to this passage, but the pastor understood that the purpose of the church is for people to come to know Jesus. God wants everyone to be saved. That's the foundation. And whenever somebody is acting in a way that is hindering this goal, then the church leaders need to deal with it. And so in this particular congregation, what was happening is some men were bothering, harassing, treating inappropriately the women of the church, and that was hindering the goal of all people coming to know Jesus. So Paul was dealing with a different situation. Uh, he was writing to Timothy about something that was going on in Ephesus. But even though the details were completely different, somewhere at the root, the situation was more or less the same. Some men were in the church doing something that was hindering God's goal, that everyone would know Jesus. They were doing, saying things that were driving people away from God rather than toward God. And Paul says to Timothy, you have to deal with this. So Paul writes, he says, in every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. So we don't know exactly what was going on there at that church in Ephesus, Apparently, there were somehow problems with anger and controversy and all sort of generally related to this idea of, of uh, unholiness. I think maybe we get a glimpse of what was going on from 1 Timothy 1.4 when we when are introduced to what Paul is writing in chapter 1. He says, he's talking about some false teachers in the church and he says, don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations, which don't help people live a life of faith in God. So again, I don't know exactly what was going on, but it 
get the impression from reading chapters 1 and 2 that there were some men in the church who were caught up in a lot of discussions, a lot of arguments, and these things were completely missing the point. It seems they're actually stirring up some anger, stirring up some controversy, and these were driving people away from God, and they were completely counter to God's heart, which is that everybody would be saved. So that's the context when Paul says, in every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. So, so Paul wants people to be, to be holy, to be free from anger, to be free from controversy. And when, so when men in this congregation were going to come to worship God, they wanted, he wanted them to focus on God and to do things that were drawing people towards God, towards God's desire that everyone would know Jesus and everyone would be saved. And Timothy, as a pastor in the church, needed to deal with some things these men were doing that were actually undermining God's goal and God's desires for his community. Just like that pastor at Riverview, he had a very different situation as far as the details, but the circumstances were such that people were driving others away from Jesus through their actions, and the leadership needed to deal with that problem. So let me go back to and read verses 3 to 6 again, just sort of capturing God's heart desire here. He says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there's one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. So this is the key, this is the center. God wants everyone to be saved, and when people do things that undermine this goal, church leaders need to address that problem and to deal with it. And that leads into verses 9 and 10, because once again, there were some problems going on in the church, and Paul said you have to deal with this because this is undermining the goal. And we'll get to verses 9 and 10 in a minute, but I wanted to to sort of acknowledge something else about verse 8. Um... It's hard to know how to teach some passages that show up in Scripture. I read and I trust a number of different commentaries that I have at home in my office. So when I'm preparing each week, I read, I read these and I think about it. I also read different translations of the Bible, usually the NIV, the NLT, and then the New American Standard, and try to see how they're the same and how they're different. And... Sometimes I encounter situations where people go in two different directions, and it's really hard to know if I should acknowledge that when I'm talking about it, just sort of say what seems to me to be best. But this passage here, verse 8, is one in which some commentaries that I regularly read go completely different directions from some other ones that I do. And I at least want to talk about that so that you you are um, thinking about it, and then you can read and study the scripture on your own. So three of the commentaries I have would say that verse 8 teaches us, I've got these kind of ranked in bluntness here, Paul specified that men everywhere are to lead the congregation in prayer. Or the next one is, it's equally clear, however, that the conduct of public prayer should be carried on by men rather than women. Or this next one is, only men who shall participate in public prayer. So these three commentators essentially said, we think that the main goal of what Paul is trying to communicate in verse 8 is that public prayers should be done only by men. 
But I've just told you how I was reading this and the thing that came into my mind as I was reading here and I was reflecting on this passage and the story that came to my mind of, of a, a similar situation in a church that I was part of. And that's not the direction I went at all. And that's, that's really because as I was reading these translations, I don't see that showing up in the way it's translated. I read the NLT already. Jerry, I already read the New American Standard. I'll just read the NIV then. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. It seems to me that if indeed Paul's main goal in this verse was to communicate that men should pray and only men, then that's where the translators would have gone, and they didn't, and they don't. So... Only one of these commentators also made reference to 1 Corinthians 11, in which Paul talks to the people in that church about women praying, and he gives only instructions about making sure they're dressed correctly, rather than saying they need to knock it off. So I, I think a good teacher needs to, to acknowledge when there are divisions within the paths of interpretation, you're going to have to read and you're going to have to study on your own. Read the scriptures, read several different good translations, and see where you go. But to me, it feels like what Paul is trying to say here is he's trying to address the heart of the men who are praying rather than the exclusivity of men who are praying. Because it seems in chapter 2, Paul says, God wants everyone to be saved. So in the first part of chapter 2, he tells people to pray and to live holy lives so that we're working towards this goal that everyone would be saved. Then in verse 8, he says, don't do things during your gatherings that are going to drive people away because God wants everyone to be saved. And he directs this towards men in the church because they were focused on anger and controversies and unholiness and were driving people away. And then he goes on with this same theme in 9 and 10, and he says, you've got to be careful about the stuff that you wear. This too can hinder God's goal and it can drive people away. And God wants everyone to be saved. And Paul directs this comment towards some women in the church who were dressed in ways that were causing, causing people to be driven away from the family of God. So Paul, Paul writes in 9 and 10, he says, and I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For the women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. So apparently, in some way, Timothy's church had a problem with women who came focused more on what they were wearing than where their hearts were at. Paul does not give us any additional context, so I don't, I don't know anything more than what he writes right here. It seems to me in some ways that the basic instruction is pretty parallel to what he says to men. You need to come and you need to focus on worship. Your heart needs to be in the right place. And you need to remember God's goal that everyone should be saved and don't do things that hinder the goal. Now, I've, I've heard many different teachings and sermons on this passage over the year. And it's, and it's interesting how many of them focus primarily on on a call often to young ladies and youth gatherings, you need to dress modestly, and they take this as no sexual provocation in your clothing. And as I read this, I think to myself, okay, I get that. That's completely true in this. But Paul specifically talks about, the way the NLT translates it, gold, pearls, and expensive clothes. 
I am pretty sure that the, the ideas that Paul was addressing here were not so much around a question of modesty on a provocative nature, but modesty on a simplicity nature, that these ladies were showing up and they were advertising their wealth and their status and they were trying to rank themselves against each other. Look at all of the gold that I can afford to wear to church. What about you? And I don't know that we do that in our day quite so much. I thought, you know, in our day, sometimes maybe it's the cars in the parking lot that we use to try to show our status. I can afford this truck, and can you? I don't know, but I have a story to tell to think about this, uh, a, a story that sort of might capture some of what's going on. I've told this story to some people in some in a different situation. I don't think I've ever told it to everybody. If I did, well, I guess you'll get to hear it again. But in 2004, Emily and I moved to Delaware for her job, and we rented a house in Laurel, and we didn't know anybody within 100 miles in any direction, so one of the first things that we were focused on was trying to find a home church. And Trostler was actually the first place we visited on that first Sunday when we were visiting churches early in August in 2004. But we also visited a number of other congregations, many of which were closer to Laurel because we didn't, we didn't know anywhere where we were going to settle. We had no ideas. And so it was just sort of looking around and trying to find a place to be. So one Sunday we visited a particular church. It was not a Mennonite church. I won't say any more. The service was fine. It was enjoyed it. But after we left, Emily made the comment that we would not be able to attend that church because we didn't have the wardrobe to fit in with what the people were wearing. We didn't wear, and we didn't even own the kind of clothes that they did, and it just wasn't going to work. And one couple in that congregation pulled us aside after the service and said, hey, would you come to our house on sometime in that evening, in the evening and during that week, and they invited us over for supper, and we went, and we talked with them, and it was great. But at part of that congregation, conversation, they said to us, you know, I'm not sure that our congregation is really the best place for you, but there might be a church where you would fit in better. Have you ever heard of Trestler Mennonite Church? So we already had, and we ended up going there. So I'm not trying to pick on that congregation, or certainly not on that couple, because I appreciated their welcome. But I think it kind of illustrates what God is trying to communicate to us in this passage. God's heart goal is that everyone would be saved. And so on that Sunday, many years ago now, a couple in their mid-20s showed up in that church, and they felt like they just would never, ever fit in based on the clothing that people were wearing. Now, we were already followers of Jesus. We were going to find a church no matter what. But what if we hadn't been followers of Jesus yet? What if we had shown up that Sunday because God had been stirring in our hearts, trying to, to prod us to go somewhere, and we had wandered into this church, and we looked around and said, they don't want our kind. And essentially, the family, as great as they were, and we've run into them since, but essentially, they were kind of saying the same kind of thing. You don't fit here, but I know where you might. So there was some good, but anyway, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. And in that particular story, Tressler came out looking really good, but maybe we have our own struggles too. Anyway, 
I don't, we don't know what was going on in Timothy's church, not exactly, but in some way, some of the women were wearing clothes, they were turning their services into some sort of a fashion show, or they're trying to show their status, their wealth, to rank each other as to where they fit in this pecking order, and Paul is really upset because the goal is that everyone should come to know Jesus. The goal is not to try to show where you fit and where you rank within your community. And so Paul directed his thoughts first to men because the men were stirring up controversies and anger and they weren't being holy. And this was driving people away from the community of believers and it was counter to God's desire that everyone would be saved. Then he directs his comments to women because some women in the congregation were doing something with the clothes they were wearing that were driving people away and were creating a barrier to people who are coming to Jesus. And Paul wants everyone to be saved, and that is what has to be the center of these gatherings. And so he wanted Timothy to address this problems so that there would be a place of safety for everybody. And so I guess I was thinking, what if Paul were to write to us here at Tressler? I don't really think our clothes are a problem, uh, but I am not very observant in that way or very in tune with the world around us, so probably worth thinking about it. What about anger and controversy, which is something Paul specifically wrote about? I can think back to times when there were some issues at play, probably. I don't feel like that's going on now and hasn't for a little while, but would Paul have to address that? Do we need to let the Spirit show something? Or is there something else that Paul might focus on if he was going to write to our congregation? Is there anything that we do, or that some of us within the congregation do, that pushes people away rather than drawing them close, close to God? Something that counters God's desire that everyone would be saved. I was thinking about Jerry's story from going to the Fireman's Carnival when he told that about being surrounded by lots and lots of people of all different kinds and God reminding him, I want all of these people to know me. Do you want all of these people to know me? And I thought maybe we need to ask ourselves how these kind of people would respond if they came to our church, to try to put ourselves in their shoes for a while and think whether or not there's something that God would like us to deal with that's similar to what this church in Ephesus was dealing with. But it might not be at a fireman's carnival. Maybe you go to the boardwalk in Rehoboth and just look around. Would these people come and feel drawn towards God? Or would there be something that we would do or say or wear or some way that we would push people away? Or the mall or a restaurant or a university campus or your workplace or whatever it is, God wants all people to be saved. Do we do something that hinders that? Or are we working in that direction towards God's goal. But I don't want to end on some sort of a, a depressing note. It's, I think, important to let God speak to us, to wonder how might he direct an apostle to write a letter to us. But instead, maybe there's in a positive way to think about this. As we work, as we worship, as we come together, as we're living our lives, there should be a constant focus on God's mission and God's desire that everybody would be saved. So let God speak to us and yet keep our mind focused on this beautiful thing of God's heart desires. He says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there's one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. 
He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Listening to the Trustler Mennonite Sermon from July 24, 2022. The passage was from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Take care.